so this morning I want to talk about the idea of biblical friendship, um, what that means and what that can look like. And so to start us out, I hope, hope you guys will forgive me. I, I want to try a little exercise. There's a little audience participation here. Um, because there is, there's a characteristic, a personality trait that we kind of talk about a lot um, because it seems to come up, and that's um, the idea of being an extrovert or an introvert, um, that everybody kind of has a different, different leaning uh, on the way that you are. Now, of course, it, it depends on the situation. It depends on who you're, who you're around or what the, what the context is, but I think most of us kind of know if we're, you know, if we're extroverted, we like to you know, be in social situations, we like to be around people, we like to talk a little bit more versus an introvert who's just somebody who tends to kind of prefer to be either alone or with a small group um, and not so much. So if you would do me a favor, I just want to, I just want to take a poll this morning because I'm, I'm curious. If you're somebody who considers yourself an extrovert, would you raise your hand? Okay. All right, every youth up here almost. And, all right, all right. Now, just because I love the irony of this question, if you consider yourself an introvert, all right, just raise your hand. Okay. I wanted to have you like stand up and wave your arms around, but I, I knew that wouldn't be, wouldn't be super successful. Um, so the reason I, I asked that question is because I think it plays, plays a role in our pursuit of biblical friendship. And in fact, it can kind of, um, either side can kind of have its, its challenges um, to building these deep, meaningful relationships. For, uh, for an introvert, it's, it's kind of obvious. They're just not, not desiring to be around people all that much, right? They, they're not good at walking up to strangers or new people and, and working on building that relationship. For an extrovert, that, that first part is not hard, right? They, they love that part, and they probably have tons of friends, but it's probably a little bit harder since there's so many friends to go kind of go deeper, to, to move beyond that, that surface level of friendship. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to whichever, whichever way you kind of lean, um, that you would kind of push through what is natural. Um, sometimes, you know, in life, you, ha you just have to do things that, uh, that are difficult, right? For the introvert, it's like weddings and parties or um, things like that, where they have to interact with strangers and um, for the extroverts, it's like silence. They can't, can't handle too long of silence. If you want to know if anybody's an extrovert, just go like on a long car ride with them. You'll find out. Like they can't handle 30 seconds of silence and that's about all it can, that's about all it can take. You'll, you'll know um, who they are. But in life, it's just appropriate for us um, to at times push through what our natural desire is um, because we need, to, we need to be there to support people. We need to love and care for people. And so in order to kind of help us get a picture of that this morning, uh, I want to look at, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. So if you want to go ahead and, and open up um, 1 Samuel, you can, you can flip to chapter 18. Um, and again, I have to ask for your forgiveness, particularly um, the type A uh, among us. Please forgive me this morning. We are going to like bounce around and out of order this morning. So I apologize for that ahead of time, but um, we just don't have time to cover the whole thing. And so we're just going to look at some snapshot shots from 1 Samuel 18 and 23. So we're going to kind of bounce back and forth um, and out of order. And 
Um, this will give us an idea of what it looks like to be a good friend. But before we get to that, we actually also, in the same storyline, we have the opportunity uh, to see what it also is to be a bad friend, um, to see what things might prevent us uh, from building that kind of relationship. And so um, if you have some time this week, I, I do encourage you to go back through and read all, all five of those chapters. But this morning, we're just going to look first uh, before we get to the, the good friendship of Jonathan and David, we're going to look at the relationship between Saul and David. And we're going to see that Saul was not a good friend to David. That's, that's putting it lightly. Um, that Saul had the same opportunity, he had the same motive as Jonathan uh, to befriend David, but he chose to go a completely different path. And so uh, we're going to start out in chapter 18, verse 6. Um, to look first at Saul's relationship. And, and here we're, we're catching up with David and Saul. This is after um, David has, has killed Goliath. He's had that battle, and he's been brought into Saul's house. Saul sees the beginning. He sees his value, um, makes him a commander, and starts to give him um, some control and, and sends him out into battle. And because we know, as, uh, as Cassidy mentioned earlier, like we know David has been anointed as the future king of Israel, God makes him successful. God is, is with him, and we know um, that that's David's real, that's where his power comes from. It's from God, and we're going to see that Saul has kind of forgotten where his power comes from. Um, and so picking up in verse 6, they've been going out, they've been very popular, very successful. It says in verse 6, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So, like I said, before we get a picture of David and his friendship with Jonathan, we need to understand his relationship with Saul, that Saul is going to put on display two connected characteristics that will lead to a bad relationship, that will prevent a friendship from growing and developing. So looking at where Saul was, if you, if you were to back up a few chapters, you're going to see that he, is, he has started to move away from the Lord, um, that he is, he's no longer relying on God. He's, he's trusting in himself. He's become more and more concerned with his own, with his own image. Um, for example, for, for one, he should have been the one to stand up to Goliath, right? I mean, he's the one hearing, hearing the Philistines speak poorly of God as the king, he could have taken that as, as an example or a time to be an example to step out, and yet he doesn't. In fact, so much so that he lets the, you know, the delivery boy step out and do it, right? He lets the DoorDash driver uh, show up and say, hey, that shouldn't be happening, and, and he lets him step out in his place. When he, when he sins, when he disobeys God, he, he blames other people. He doesn't, he doesn't really take credit for that. In fact, there's, there's one point where Samuel the prophet comes and uh, rebukes him for something he's been doing, and his response is not humility, it's not repentance. His response is to beg Samuel, would you please go out and speak well of me to other people? Would you go out and make me look good? Right, he, he clearly has kind of lost 
um, his sense of pleasing the Lord. And so the first thing that you see, first characteristic you see is his pride. It's his selfishness. That, that if we are to have relationships that matter, relationships that have value and benefit in our walk with the Lord, we have to repent of our pride. We have to be willing to see that it is, it is not all about ourselves, that we are reliant on the Lord for those relationships. I mean, and, and really the most helpful way to see that uh, is just the thing that, that started that is his loss of his gospel understanding, right? If we understand the gospel, we understand that pride and the gospel do not go together. In fact, pride is completely antithetical to the gospel, right? Because someone who understands the gospel understands that they don't bring anything to the table, right? We don't earn our salvation on, on any level, that every ounce of good that is in us comes from God. Well, that, the person who understands that and sees their life through that lens doesn't end up in, in pride like Saul does here. That it's incredibly important that we, that we use this phrase sometimes called preach the gospel to yourself daily. Um, and what, what that means is just constantly reminding yourself over and over and over that God is the one who has delivered you. That your, your life is not about you, it's about you in light of the gospel, what God has done in you. And what we see from Saul is not, not just one instance of pride, but this ongoing pattern of pridefulness. He's, he's forgotten who put him where he was. He's forgotten who made him this king, this, this ruler, and this conqueror. And then, and then it kind of morphs. The second thing is that is really just a continuation of pride, and that's jealousy, right? So if you allow pride to continue to fester in your heart, it, it morphs and it grows into jealousy, and it, it could not be more obvious than what we see kick off his jealousy here. That, that it probably, probably wasn't Saul, we don't know when Saul like kind of realizes that David is going to be, his successor is going to be king, but, but really that doesn't seem to be what he's dealing with here. What he's frustrated by is that in this song that also praises Saul, he's mad that David is even mentioned. Right, he, he, could have, he could have taken that and been like, wow, that's really encouraging. They, you know, they're singing these songs about us. But no, he chooses to get mad because anybody else was mentioned besides himself. And in, in fact, even the way they, they sing it, this idea of David, excuse me, Saul, his thousands, and David, his ten thousands, most commentators would say that that was really just a, a method of, of singing. It wasn't really meant to be taken literally. They weren't literally saying, okay, Saul's done a little bit of good, David's done a lot of good. Really what the, the purpose of the song was just to say, Saul and David have killed thousands. They have fought God's enemies and been successful. It was not meant to be a comparative type thing, but because Saul had allowed pride and jealousy to continue to grow in his heart, he hears it and he just interprets it in the worst possible way and is frustrated that that David might have gotten even a little bit of credit with him. Now, if you're somebody like, like me, who, who ever struggles with your worry about what people think of you, you have some insecurity, you know that sometimes even the smallest thing can kind of, can kind of give you some, some worry, right? Just a facial expression or even a, a comment or, or, or the way somebody doesn't respond to your text right away or something like that. It just 
it can kind of cause some paranoia to, to grip your heart. And you start to think in, in really just the worst possible ways. Well, sometimes that's the only foothold that the enemy needs in order to show and, and pull us away from a, from a helpful relationship with that person. And, and that's what happened to Saul here. He had an opportunity, like I said, the same as Jonathan. David had done him well, had served him well, had been successful, but instead Saul lets his ego morph into jealousy, and ultimately it sends him spiraling out of control. Um, and we don't have time this morning to cover every single story, but, it, but if you go back and read through the story, you're going to see Saul, quite honestly, just gets crazier and crazier in his efforts against David. Um, at one point, he even uses his, his own daughter. He uses marriage with his own daughter as a way to kind of manipulate and hopefully bring down David. Uh, the, the more famous story is the one where David is just playing music in his house. Uh, seemingly nothing else is going on, and Saul just gets so angry. He allows it to build up in his, his mind so much. He gets so angry that he grabs a spear and he tries to kill David with it. David has to run, run out and, and get away. And uh, just a, like a side note here, if, if you've ever thought or talked to somebody who said the Bible is boring, they should read 1 Samuel. They should read the story. It will put like reality shows have nothing on the drama that happens here. Um, Saul just gets crazier and crazier. And, um, and, and so for us, what we, can, what we can do, what we can see from that is learn that pride and jealousy are incredibly destructive. They have the ability to, to morph and change and affect our lives in ways that just, just aren't good, that aren't logical. And, and, and maybe you won't be tempted to spear somebody to death, but hopefully not. If you are, we can talk after. But, um, but, but even the things of just, just, being, just being mean or separating yourself or, or trying to tear someone else down, all of those things can happen through the results of pride and jealousy, being left alone, not being repented of in our hearts. And so that gives us at least a picture of what are some things that might prevent this from happening, right? That pride and jealousy, they have to be removed in order for us to have a biblical friendship that will, that will work. And as you begin to fight back against those temptations, those sins, you can be the kind of friend that we're going to see in, in Jonathan. David and Jonathan give us one of the best pictures of what a friendship can look like um, in Scripture. And so let's, let's I want to do the same thing. I want to look at their friendship and what are the characteristics that we see there that we can learn from and apply. And so, like I said, we're going to move backwards and forwards. So go ahead and skip back to verse 1 of chapter 18, and, and you see the first of these characteristics here at the beginning of the chapter. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And so the, the point I, I, I want to make here, I want to draw your attention to is just the strength of the language, right? Of saying things like their souls were knit together. He loved him as his own soul. The first thing that we see about this friendship is that it was intimate, that they, they had a closeness that went beyond just your average acquaintance. They loved one another. 
right? And, th- and that's, a, that's something in, in today's times where we're almost like uncomfortable using those terms uh, for, for a friendship. But honestly, culturally, that, that's not all that uncommon. Um, and so we kind of need to push back our, the, the cultural fear we might have from uh, that type of language and, and be okay with it. That is, that is right for us to have close friendships with one another. And, and there's a reason why. That the, the command for us to care for one another in this way is not just an arbitrary command. It, it's, it's not without purpose or value. Because with that kind of intimacy, that kind of closeness, comes incredible benefit for the believer. It's only with that level of closeness that we can truly begin to care for one another. That we can truly begin to pray for one another, um, to have compassion, to bear each other's burdens. That when we're this close, you're able to do that in ways that are just much more effective and much more beneficial for, for each of you. It helps us beyond kind of that, that outer shell that most of us have, that, that most everybody sees. It lets us see into their hearts and who they really are. And that way we can love each other with the level of God loving us. Because that's, that's our example. Again, if, that's, if you're somebody who's like, man, I just don't like to get in other people's business. I don't like to be, it's weird for me to be a part of someone else's life or somebody to be involved in my life in that way. I would challenge that thought with the example that we have in Christ. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we see our, our picture, our example is, of course, Christ. The way that he loved us and praise the Lord that he chose that involved in our lives. And so it is okay for us to get up there, get, get involved in each other's lives so that we might be able to bring them comfort, encouragement, and strength. And so that's the first thing that we see is that, that they had an intimacy, they had a closeness. The next characteristic is, is also there in verse 3 of chapter 18. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David. Again, here's, here's something, just language we don't typically use when we're talking about each other, but as a natural result of their love for each other, we see that they were committed to one another. And the covenant that they made was this outward sign of the way that they felt about each other, the way they cared for each other in their hearts. The idea here is you're swearing yourself and your allegiance to, to someone else as a, as a brother or a sister, rather than just kind of as a normal friend. They're, they're taking it a step beyond that you're including them this is kind of including them in your family you're taking on responsibility for the well-being of each other one one encyclopedia describes this action it says more than a token of esteem it bound them to demonstrate mutual loyalty and loving kindness in certain tangible ways and so if we're if we're to have these kinds of relationships we have to be willing to commit to each other in covenant ways and of course again our example of what a covenant is is our covenant with god right a covenant is different than say a contract Uh, a contract like if i if i hire somebody to come out and do some work at my house we have a contract he does the work i pay him but if he doesn't show up i'm not going to pay him right if he doesn't hold up his end i'm not going to hold up my end well covenant really goes beyond that right a covenant says you know what even if you don't hold up your end 
I'm still going to be there for you. Because I think we would all admit and know that we often don't hold up our end of the covenant with God. And yet, his salvation, his provision for us remains regardless. That we cannot be removed from his hand, no matter what sin that we might find ourselves in. He keeps his promises to us in full. And that's, that's the level of commitment that we're trying to get to here with one another. What a, what a covenant among brothers and sisters means is this serious commitment. It's not something that is easily swayed. It's not something that's easily broken. Um, it doesn't break up when something bad happens, right? Any, any relationship of sinners, you know, it's just there's going to be things that happen. They're going to be mean or they're going to be disrespectful or something's, something's going to happen. But it can't be, it's, this is a commitment that's not broken by those kinds of things that pushes through and endures beyond those types of challenges, and so my, my encouragement to you is that we would be willing to commit to each other, to not be afraid to commit ourselves like Jonathan committed to David. The third characteristic we see, and we see this in a few different places, um, is, the, is kind of the opposite of what we talked about earlier. It's humility, right? We, we can't have pride. We must have humility. Jonathan, in verse 4, it says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And then, forgive me, if you skip ahead to chapter 23, verse 17, it says, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. So, just a little bit of history. Saul was the first king of Israel. But people were familiar with the idea of a monarchy. It was not a, it was not a new concept to them. In fact, they, they continued to ask God and Samuel, they continued to ask them for a king. So they knew kind of how a monarchy normally worked, which means in this scenario, they assumed that the next king of Israel would be Jonathan, right? Jonathan was Saul's son. Um, he, was, he was successful. He, there was every reason to think Jonathan's going to be the next king. And so really, when you're looking at David and saying, who is he a threat to? He's actually more of a threat to Jonathan than to Saul, right? That if anybody was going to be jealous, it, it seems like it would have been Jonathan. But what we see from very early on that, I mean, really right from the get-go, Jonathan was humble enough not to be threatened by his success. In fact, he was celebrating his friend's success. When, when Jonathan gives him his clothes and his armor and his weapons, he's doing him an honor, right? And so we, we see this contrast, this really easy contrast to see between Jonathan and Saul. Saul is thinking honor for himself. Jonathan is giving it out to others, right? So because even in the best of circumstances, a friendship like this is, is difficult to come by. That, that when you throw in the fact that one of them was, was royalty and there's, there's this complication of who's going to be the next king, it, it, it should be even harder, right? History is flooded with examples of people doing horrific things in order to gain control and to gain power, uh, just getting more and more paranoid. And yet Jonathan begins their relationship really as equals and then at some point even recognizes, you know what, you are the anointed one and is, is fully willing to say, not only will you be King David instead of me, I'm going to support you in that. I'm going I'm to stand next to you. I'm going to be your friend through that. He shows this lack of concern for himself, and it's only 
that humility that allowed this friendship to happen. If he hadn't had that, there's, there's no way he would have been too much of a threat. They couldn't have loved and cared for each other in this way. Philippians 2.3, you've probably heard this before, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And so humility really, it, I think it plays out in two forms. It plays it out in an internal and an external form. So, so first, you have to have an internal, sincere understanding and belief that others are more important than yourself. That really nothing you do on the outside, that we've, we've heard and we've seen examples of like false humility. You can kind of tell when somebody's being not so humble. You, you've heard uh, the term like when people do a humble brag, Right, they say something that's supposed to sound humble, but it's really just bragging on themselves. Right, so we, we've seen that you have to first, before you can um, be humble externally, you have to have an internal understanding of humility. And, and so the question you have to ask yourself, do you find yourself looking for ways that you're better than others? Do you find yourself looking for ways to, to one-up other people or even to tear other people down? We, we need to be using our, our prayers, we need to be appealing to God for humility and repentance from, from that kind of, what is truly arrogance, of thinking more of ourselves than others, just like Jonathan did. In fact, there, there are times when he stands up to Saul. By the way, there's complexity there. That's his father. It's, it's difficult to stand against your father in, in anything. And he stands up to Saul, and in his humility, he has recognized and seen the good that David is doing. And he chooses to relay that information to Saul. He's not, he's not lying. He's just been so, so focused on his friend's success that he's, he's willing to go to Saul and really brag on his friend, to, to talk good things about his friend to his, to his father. And as I mentioned earlier, th this is truly a, a gospel thing. This is having the gospel as the center of your heart and your mind, the way that you see anything. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor, uh, was a pastor in New York City. Um, sadly, he, he passed away about a week ago. And he has a, one of the quotes in his book, I think, words it in a really helpful way. He says, The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. And really, that's, that's at the heart of what I'm, I'm trying to talk about this morning, is that the gospel causes us to think about ourselves less and to think of others more. And so once we're able to internally be humble to repent in, in our heart and in our mind, it begins to play out externally. That our, our efforts and our days are no longer spent trying to get ahead, um, no longer trying to one-up other people. We're looking for ways to lift others up, to encourage others. And for Jonathan, this meant an enormous sacrifice. This is no small thing that he was willing to step aside from his place as heir to the throne and give it and hand it over to David. And so we, we need to be mindful of how we can put our humility into action, looking for ways to lift up our friends around us. 
taking to heart Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Jesus is finishing that parable of the workers in the vineyard to show that it's not about how much glory that you receive. It's that we are all undeserving of glory, right? And we take that uh, with us so that we might bring honor and glory to God first and to those around us. So the last, the last characteristic we see in this relationship is, is that it's encouraging. In chapter 23, uh, verse 16, Saul has continued his efforts to kill David. In fact, he's even chased him into hiding. He's killed other people along the way. And in verse 16, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And so here, this is kind of the culmination of everything that we're talking about, the, all the value that, that there is in a friendship. The most important role of a friendship among believers is their ability to strengthen each other in the Lord. So my, my encouragement to you, if you've not heard anything else this morning, I, I would say to hear this, that biblical friendship is one that encourages each other in their walk with the Lord, that sustains them through difficulty here david is in a is a very bad place right he's being chased down by a madman um his friend risks his life to come and see him we know we, we all know here that life is full of difficulty that in this room alone we could spend hours talking about the the struggles and the strife that are going on um, right now god has provided us a way through that pain and through that difficulty, a way to endure, a way to be kept in each other. Those that can encourage us, that can pick us up, spur us on towards love and good deeds. As Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We're commanded to encourage one another. This is not a, not a, a, a backup plan. This is not something just to check the box off. God knows that we need each other. That these kinds of friendships are necessary for the Christian's walk. We cannot, I say this a lot, we cannot be, we cannot expect to be successful in our walk with the Lord if we neglect the tools that he has given us to be successful, right? So, so some of the obvious ones, right? Just reading the word, being involved in the word, prayer, but also close biblical friendships with friends is a necessary part of our walk. And Jonathan and David give us an example, give us some encouragement of what that can look like. So very quickly as we, as we wrap up, I do want to give some short, just some practical pieces of advice. Um, if this is an area that you've not, that you've not gotten into, um, that you've not had a relationship like this, or it's been a long time, just a few things that I want to encourage you. First, what to expect. Uh, some things to expect. It's going to be messy right so any any relationship with sinners 
is going to be messy the same way that family is messy the same way that marriages can be messy there are going to be difficulties you're you're combining uh, people that have sin in their hearts you're combining people with uh, different personalities an introvert and an extrovert uh, right there there are ways that there are all these ways that we could just not get along because of what's going on in, in our life uh, I mean dare I say you might have different politics than the other person but praise God we have a commonality in Christ and what he's done for us that can overcome those differences so I'm just telling you expect it to be a little bit messy expect it to just it's not going to go perfectly you guys aren't going to be you know crying and praising the lord you know in the coffee shop on your first meeting that's okay things things are meant to be a little bit messy second it's kind of like it it's going to be it's going to be awkward right so there's going to be some awkward silences there's going to be some i don't know how to transition this conversation from the football game last week into here's the sin that i'm that i'm struggling with Right, especially at the beginning just know awkwardness is not the end of the world it's okay it's embrace the awkwardness a little bit right be willing to go up to somebody and just say hey i'd like to have coffee with you right that that's okay if it's a little bit awkward it's all right um and then lastly i would just want to encourage you that, that this is something that i think uh among others is something that's caught more than it's taught that's kind of the cliche phrase meaning um it's hard to understand so I can sit up here and tell you how valuable it is and just until I'm blue in the face, but really it's not until you experience it that you really see the value. So if this, if this is not something that you see in your life, kind of what I'm saying is if my words haven't convinced you, just go ahead and try it anyways. Like I, I assure you, for me and my family, when I really began to experience biblical friendship, biblical community, it was like a light just flipped on in, in my heart and in my mind. Um, that's incredibly helpful. And so I would encourage you, trust that this is something that's valuable. So those are a few things you can expect. Um, lastly, some things that it requires. So obviously, first and foremost, the things that we saw in Jonathan, intimacy and commitment and humility, those are the foundational things. Um, here's just a few practical things that, that a friendship requires. One, it requires initiative. Somebody has to go first. And in a friendship like that, there are several, there are several firsts. There's the first person who just says, hey, do you want to go grab coffee? Um, and then at some point, there's the first person who says, hey, I need to confess some sin, right? Taking, taking it to deeper and deeper levels. I, I know for me, if you're somebody who um, overthinks like text messages, conversation, you might think, I, I had a conversation with somebody, they're like, you know, I need to text so-and-so. I really should send them a text, but... I haven't talked to them a long time and I don't have a lot of time and you know just just over and over start to build up all these reasons why not to and what I'm telling you is just cut through that and just just do it <laughs> just be the one so I'll give you even permission right now so if, if God has laid somebody in your heart uh, some some idea go ahead you can pull out your phone and you can text right now it'd actually be super cool if you guys texted each other but I, I can't promise that that's that's what will happen but Go ahead and send the text. Don't be afraid to take the initiative. Don't be afraid to be the one who always brings up going to lunch, right? Move, move in humility. Move past that thought of, you know, they should really reciprocate. They should schedule some of these. Just move past that and send them a text. Give them a phone call. So it requires initiative. Secondly, it's going to require vulnerability. There's a 
fear when we begin to let people see more of who we are, right? More of that, more than just that outer shell that we show people, we, we fear rejection. We fear judgment. When you get to the point where you're willing to say, here's a sin that I struggle with, there's, that's a lot of risk that you're taking there. You're afraid that judgment is going to come back towards you. But my encouragement to you, and, and what I would say in my experience and in the experience of, of many others, is 99 times out of 100, when you're willing to be that person, again, taking the initiative, going first, and being vulnerable, the response is very rarely judgment. The response is, yeah, me too. I, I, I struggle with that also, right? And, and once you've been able to uh, reach that point, kind of have that, oh man, I thought I was the only one. Once you reach that point, your relationship is, is just launched into an area of, of value and growth that um, it just can't have beforehand. So be prepared, be willing to be vulnerable. And then lastly, um, it requires listening. Good listening. I know that seems like a strange one, but it's something that maybe we think we're good at. But really, I, I know in my heart, in my life, I've been convicted many times of just having conversations with people and realizing, you know, I'm not really listening to them. I'm much more concerned about what I'm going to say, right? They get a few words in. I'm already developing what my response is going to be before I, before I just stop and listen and have compassion on what they're, what they're going through. And that's, a, that's, a, that's another point of pride, of, of self-importance, that what I have to say is more important than what they're sharing with me. And so we have to learn and we have to practice being good listeners. Um, there's a book by David Mathis called Habits of Grace, um, there's some guys in here. We went, we went through that together on Wednesday nights this last semester. Um, he devotes a whole section, a, a pretty big section, on just how to be a good listener. Um, and it's one of the best things that I've ever read as far as biblical friendships and community and small groups. It's one of the most helpful things I've ever read. I would encourage you, grab that book. Uh, I'd be happy to pick it up for you. Um, but at the very least, go look up that, that section and read through how to be a good listener. He has a quote. He quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that chapter, and he's talking about half-eared listening, that, what I was talking about, where you're not really paying attention to what they say. It says, half-eared listening despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. Obviously, that's, that's really strongly worded, but I, I think it's true that when we're not willing to listen to each other, we're showing them that they're not important. And so we have to learn to be good listeners. So as we, as we close, um, please know that, that I understand that this is a difficult thing, that this is a difficult request. It's something that takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes doing things that are uncomfortable. But in the end, it's something that you need. God doesn't tell us to do this for no reason. That there is great value in having biblical friendships, of having these Jonathan and David type friendships. We think we can do it on our own. He knows that we can't. And this is a tool that he's given us. And so the, we're gonna, the band is going to come back up. And they're going to play one more song. And I would encourage you this morning, as you look at these characteristics, ask yourself, do you have a Jonathan? Do you have someone that you love and that you are committed to as they were? Can you, can you call any of your friends intimate? 
as they were. And so if not, I, I, I pray that you would take this time as we, as we sing this song that um, you would ask God to humble you, to bring that person um, into your life, that person or persons, that you would look in the areas that you already are, um, in, in Sunday school, in Bible studies, uh, where, wherever you're engaging with other believers, and that you would ask God to reveal it, make it obvious to you where it is that, uh, that you can build that friendship. And so as we take this time, I, I pray that that would be your prayer, that would be your thought. Let me pray for us, and then we will continue in worship. Father, we praise you for your grace and for your mercy, that, God, we, we sit here this morning in light of your gospel, that we don't sit here wondering if our lives and our souls are one. We know that you have already won. And so, God, I pray that you would allow us to be mindful of the tools and the resources that you have given us so that we can glorify you more, that we can endure through difficulty and trust in you. God, I pray that you would bring us great friends. Bring us a Jonathan who is willing to sacrifice themselves, and I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to be a Jonathan to others. God, I ask that you would bless us this week, that we would use it for your glory wherever we are, in our work, in our families, in our neighborhoods, that we would glorify you in all that we do in light of your gospel. So it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.